The Shamrock is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Notre Dame ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. You can even find tickets to some of the great concerts at Notre Dame Stadium. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to the latest Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna. I covered Notre Dame's 40-7 blowout of Boston College today. Matt, as usual, was covering P.J. Fleck, um, as he is the athletics P.J. Fleck reporter, constantly rowing the boat. Matt, I don't know how much you got to watch of Notre Dame today. Um, There wasn't really a whole lot to watch, uh, as it really... I mean, it was a complete performance, even though it started, it was a little bit clunky. Um... Ian Book ends up being Notre Dame's leading rusher, but also throws three touchdown passes. Uh, they completely bottle up A.J. Dillon. Boston College finishes with 191 yards, and if you took out their one-chunk play, I think they finished at 2.4 yards per play. Um, it was a pretty dominant performance all the way around as Notre Dame wins its 18th straight game at home. And uh, heads to Stanford, I think they'll probably be a, a sizable favorite because Stanford is completely falling apart and a chance to win 10 games in three straight seasons for the first time since 91 to 93 after closing out back-to-back undefeated home slates undefeated for the first time since 88-89. So I don't know. It's As I wrote uh, coming out of the press box tonight, sustainability is its own kind of success. It might not be everything if you're a Notre Dame fan, but I think it probably should be uh, rewarded um, from the fan base maybe a little bit more than it has been so i have two questions one i did not see the pregame were you on the field with with uh senior fink briefly on senior day briefly i you know i did not go down i did not give fink a high five uh or a hug uh pregame i was i'm sort of like building up and trying to figure out okay well kyle hamilton will he have a junior day in two more years (laughs) and will i be able to be a part of that fair enough fair enough Already, already off the think train and starting a new bandwagon. Uh, the second question I have is uh, I got a text from a former colleague of mine who you're familiar with. Uh, his name rhymes with uh, Schmidenberg, his last name. And it was, <laughs> what exactly is Notre Dame doing? And this was at the very beginning of the game, I think. And I was uh, at a press conference at that point, so I hadn't seen that part of the game. Uh, I know they actually did trail at one point, but like, what's what what could have possibly happened that uh, made someone who was in Arizona freak out about Notre Dame's performance, first quarter performance against Boston College. That would be uh, Chatham Schittenberg. Is that who, uh, that who you're referencing? Uh, um, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Notre Dame was down seven, six, which um, allowed me to tweet out a picture of my dog, Rosalind, mm. um, bit of a, that, that should have been a tell. Yeah. Yeah. So that, uh, that, that's how things were going at that point. But, I mean, that was immediately after Boston College's one good offensive play for the entire game. And from there on out, it was there was there was nothing to be heard from from uh, A.J. Dillon, um, you know, Dennis Grosel, their quarterback, with 
arguably the least athletic sounding name that I've covered yeah, that's, this year. Yeah, I, I, I had the same feeling. I didn't know how to put it like in, into proper words, but least athletic. It's, I right. mean, it's up there with former Stanford fullback Frank Divis. Yeah, but fullbacks um, aren't supposed to be athletic. They're just supposed yeah, to be that's big true. and early. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it just it it felt like you know Dennis Grosso could have played against Y.A. Tittle. Um, <laughs> If there, he just couldn't do anything. It was a reminder that he was a former walk-on. Um, I mean, it was it was really an interesting game in the sense of it sort of killed off the Navy hangover curse, the senior day is too emotional curse, and the Boston College really gets up for Notre Dame curse because I mean, pretty much all three all three things were blown out of the water by the time the game was over. Notre Dame finished with uh, 501 yards total offense to Boston College's 191. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't even a performance where, like, it wasn't like Boston College turned it over five times to Notre Dame zero. It was just minus two. And then, I mean, you look at Notre Dame defensively at this point. Their starting defense, I believe, has given up four touchdowns in the last four games combined. And I tweeted this out on Saturday night that, you know, last year's defense, off last year's defense, you lose Jerry Tillery, Drew Tranquil, Julian Love, Tavon Coney, um, you're now playing out this, the string without Julian Okwara. You've been without Dalen Hayes for quite a while. Um, this defense is now allowing 18.2 points per game. Last year's defense allowed 18.2 points per wow. game. So it's, you know, I, I don't want to turn this into the latest Clark Lee love fest, but still, it, I mean, the work that he's doing is just, it's just incredible. Um, and I think that will absolutely continue next week against Stanford. Uh, yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing it not continuing just based on what we've seen out of Stanford through 11 games so far this season. Uh, I'll move to the other side of the ball. I mean, in light of the Michigan game, everyone was questioning everyone, particularly Ian Book. And I know the first really three and a half quarters of Virginia Tech were not exactly going to go in the College Football Hall of Fame offensively. But last four games for Ian Book, he's led Notre Dame rushing for four straight games. He has 14 touchdown passes in the last four games. Uh, he's looked like the guy I think we all hoped and expected he could possibly be coming off a 12-1 and season last season. And, look, we talked a lot about the injuries on the offensive line, the limitations of the running game and the running backs. I mean, it, competition has to play some role in this. I get this. But, like, is this offense better when, like, Ian Buck just, like, goes all out and takes control and, and is not worrying about anyone else, for lack of a better analogy? I mean, They've just looked so sharp the last three and a half games. His numbers have been jumping off the page. And this is not the same player that was playing in the first half of the season. And again, I'm aware Duke and Boston College are not exactly Georgia and Michigan. But uh, you rarely see a guy turn it on or, or, or get this much better, I think, who's already a known quantity um, this late in the season. Yeah, I, I think that. Chris Fink getting healthy has been sort of an underrated part of all that. Um, you know, seven catches for 71 yards today and a touchdown to to finish off the scoring and the blowout. Um, for so much of the season, you watched Notre Dame's office and all you saw was 83 and 84. That was it. They, mm-hmm. they didn't really have any other levers to push, um, you know, for Chip Long as a play caller. Now suddenly you've got a healthy Chris Fink who can get open on third down, you know, get you seven yards on third and six. Uh, and I think Ian Book is seeing him so much better than maybe earlier in the year when he was not either not healthy or Book wasn't seeing it. Um, you, you feel like you're watching Ian Book play like a senior quarterback now. And whereas I think 
probably in September and certainly mid-October, it's just like, all right, is this guy taking the next step? I'm not sure. Um, you know, we'll have a, an all-decade podcast later this week. And when I wrote the all-decade team in the summer, I had Ian Book 2019 as my quarterback. And then when I had to redo it and write it for this week, a couple weeks ago, I switched it to Deshaun Kaiser because I didn't think Book was playing at the level that uh, would warrant being elevated over a guy who was drafted in the second round. But um, his last three weeks, I think, have been outstanding. And, I, you know, is it a sustainable 12-game, 13-game college football playoff offense to have Ian Book do everything the way that Lincoln Riley seems to have Jalen Hurts do everything? No, 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 it's definitely not. It's like not a healthy thing to to do for 13 games. Can you get through two more games of this against Stanford and then against, you know, Iowa State in the Camping World Bowl? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's completely fine. And then you go back to the drawing board in the offseason, get Robert Hainsey healthy, get Tommy Kramer healthy, uh, and see where you got to go from there. But right, I mean, right now, it's not Ian Book's fault that the running game is just mediocre. Um, he can sort of offset that because he's led the team in rushing the last four weeks. But, um, you know, that that's a problem to solve, I think, in the offseason opposed to a problem to solve in the next week. Yeah, I think it all comes back to the question you posed to Brian Kelly after the Louisville game, which was, you know, basically what, what do you need to see out of your young guys or, or what more do you need to get to, out of them to, to see this offense and, and this program take off the way you want it to? And he immediately kind of shot back and said, no, like we need the, the seniors, the captains, the proven guys to bring it every week. And we really did not see that from that, that entire class or captains group or whatever kind of personnel you want to narrow it down to, uh, I think really until recently. And I, I don't know if that's just, uh, because not everyone knew what, this team was capable of what they had to work with on offense and everyone was still feeling things out, especially as Ian book went from a guy who had a lot less on his plate last year and had a lot more talent around him to distribute the ball to, to a guy who was going to have to make plays and win games for Notre Dame this season, which he is doing now. Um, I just wonder if what, what took so long and if just trying to figure out the identity of this offense is what played a role in, you know, like they almost beat Georgia. I don't want to hammer these guys for the first half of the season, but but what you know uh, changed between then and now? Yeah, I, the Georgia game is is weird uh, in retrospect because Georgia I don't think is as good um, two months later as we thought when Notre Dame went down there. Defensively, defensively like, they are. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Um, but I think Notre Dame played better than they're given credit for in that game. Mm-hmm. As well, it's you know, it's not like they had two Michigan performances. They had one, right. um, and Georgia was just was much more in the sort of mold of Florida State fourteen, right. Clemson fifteen, Georgia seventeen, and that's fine. I mean, you have to win that game at some point. They did not, but that's I don't know. I, I sort of look at where they are offensively right now. Some of it is health with Fink, but then a lot of it I think is just book. Uh, and I talked to Cole Komet a little bit about this after the game, about sort of this practice schedule switch that Brian Kelly referenced on Monday when I asked him about, like, why Book is being better. How, Like, when you say we have to coach better, what the heck does that actually mean? It's sort of one of those empty coaching phrases that you know, people don't nail coaches down on to, under, to explain it. Um, and he talked about since really since after the Michigan game, they've re – you know, when they do offense for a scout team – instead of it just scripting out plays and sort of my word would be mindlessly going through the motions. Um, you know, Brian Kelly's word would words would be more like 
it's a math problem. You have to show your work, but that's what they've been doing with book and the offense in general. I asked Cole Clement and he's like, you know, it really, it picks up the tempo of practice. You go faster. You have to do more work. You have to think more. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, you can hammer Notre Dame's coaches for not finding this lever in September, or you can credit them for finding them, finding it in November, or you can do both. Um, and probably both is, is the right way to go. They, they certainly have, have found something with book and figured out how to bring something out of Ian book that they weren't able to bring out in September and early October. He was probably intentionally coy or, or vague uh, when he was asked after the game today, if this was his last game at Notre Dame stadium, like I wouldn't expect him to say anything publicly this early on. Um, those who have said it, for the most part, have said they're returning, and for the most part, have reneged on those statements uh, a month or two later when they get their draft feedback and see a blank check in front of their name. So I, I wouldn't expect any clear cut answer here on November what is twenty third right now uh, as to whether Ian Book says he's coming back or not. That said, I mean, your educated opinion, you expect him back, right? I'd, oh I'd, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, like talking to people that know him personally around around Notre Dame, they have indicated to me that he's coming back. Um, that he's told people he's coming back. Um, you know, Cole Komet is a little bit different. He actually sat down with Chip Long the day before. I asked him, I asked Komet about you know his senior season and when he said he would return. And then when I talked to Komet tonight about sort of next season and, you know, where that can go and what that can look like. I mean, he, he said, you know, like the entire offensive line's coming back. You've got Ian Book. You've got, you know, it, Ian like everybody but Ian Book and Brian Kelly are talking about Ian Book coming back mm-hmm. next year. Um, but, like, get your NFL draft feedback. Right. Definitely do that. Um, there's, there's no harm in that at all. And if that grade comes back and it's completely different than what you, you or I may think it mm-hmm. will be, then, you know, Go for it. Um, I think if he had if he had strung together twelve or thirty, if he had played against Georgia or Michigan like he played against Boston College, then I think maybe he'd have a decision to make. But you know, as it stands against top defenses, he's kind of struggled. Um, you know, that'd be Clemson, Georgia, Michigan. Uh, he played really well against Stanford last year, but Stanford, I think, ultimately sort of fell apart as this, as that season unwound um, and have not put it back together. So it's – I when I talked to Chris Sims before the USC game, he was like, Ian Book is a pro. I could see him as a backup, and maybe if he can find the right spot, maybe he can get on the field. Um, but he's not – I don't think he's going to be a guy you draft to start. Um, and he's, he's one of – like – if you look at Alohi Gilman, what does he have to gain by coming back? I'm not I'm not really right. sure I could give you an answer on that. Um, Ian Book, I think it's pretty obvious. Like, have a have a game against Clemson, um, shred Wisconsin. If if you can do those two things, then I think that's a draft improvement for him in a way that um, could be very significant, uh, both professionally and financially. Yeah, you know, we had Stefan Tuitt in 2013 tell the Observer midseason he was definitely coming back and obviously did it. And Will Fuller at a press conference with us in 2015 it was, yeah, I'm coming back. Of course I am. And I remember talking to someone at Notre Dame who, who talked to him after saying, like, you realize what you just said, right? And he was like, yeah, I realize what I just said. Like, what's the big deal? <laughs> he said it so nonchalantly. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I 
I mean, the flip got, side of that is Mike Mike McGlinchey was adamant that he was coming back. He was during and, a and when we kept terrible season. And when we kept questioning him, he was like, "Yes, I told you, I'm coming back." Like, what? Yeah, and like, he got a first round grade. Like, We've been burnt a couple times. Sorry, we're gonna you know until yeah. you're back, you're not back. Um, so I, I don't put too much into November declarations. Sure. Um, totally. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. But I mean. Yeah, with due respect to Ian Buck, I do think, given everything we just discussed, if he didn't come back, I mean, I would almost think that would have to be due to a personal or personnel or some kind of problem with Notre Dame, which I'm not suggesting at all there is. But I would think at this point, that would be the only thing that could probably push him out the door, so to speak. Yeah, In which case, I he might transfer, there's... which, again, I'm not trying to start anything here. But since we don't know yeah, for unlike, sure whether he's yeah, coming that... back... I'm with, I'm with you at that. I th- I do think that there is there are some things to sort out in this offseason on the offensive side of the ball from a from a personal standpoint, mm-hmm. not a personnel standpoint. Um, Chip Long is a tough guy to play for, um, so we'll see how that all works out. Um, I I think that's that that's something that you know is going to have to get sorted out. Um, but the way the offense is playing, I get it. When the offense is struggling, no one likes anyone. Right. Um, now that you're scoring 40 points a game or 50 points a game, everything's great. And if they go out and just house Stanford next week, if if they beat Stanford 38-7, to 7, um, then maybe people will have a different opinion about sort of where the offense is going, what it can do, its potential. Because um, I know people internally at Notre Dame, they even though that Fink and um, Claypool will be gone after the season – they're incredibly high on where things are going with Lawrence Keyes and Braden Lindsay. They love Kevin Austin, even though he hasn't played at all this year. And there's, to me, you know, five offensive linemen back, Ian Book potentially back, and there's just no way the running back position won't be better next year, whether that's Chris Tyree coming in as a true freshman right. or it's Jafar Armstrong being healthy or it's Sebo Flemister or Jameer Smith being juniors and a year older. Um I just look at that. I, I just look at this offense next year, and think like, how could they? Especially if Comet and Book are part of it, I look at that and think like, how could they not be what I thought this offense would be, which is basically able to go to Georgia and Michigan and have some success. They weren't even close to that this year, uh, but if they have everything back that they, I think they'll have back next year, it's it's in it should be an incredibly loaded group. Yeah, I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. I, I, the off, not to say this year has been a disappointment offensively, but the offense will not be worse next year. It's been frustrating. It's been, like, no, I mean, you know, it's it's been disappointing, but I think mostly it's been frustrating. I would say frustrating. I'd say whether it was injuries, suspensions, inconsistency, uh, everything has seen nothing has seemed easy, um, which you just no. kind of naturally think it will be when you have a known quantity of quarterback. Like, I think you take all the other moving parts for granted. But next year, like you said, I mean, with that offensive line, with some talented young skill guys who like will make some form of impact next year that more than they did this year, and with a running situation that can't possibly be worse than it is this year, I fully expect that offense to be much better next year. Um, and, yeah, so I, I just think not to get too far ahead of ourselves, I mean, that they are set up to be much better next year. And I don't think – I you know – you talked about playing Wisconsin, playing Clemson. I don't want to say I'm less concerned about the wins or losses, but, you know, we both said this at Georgia game. Everything just looked like a struggle. It was just like 
nothing came easy that game, which it shouldn't against a Georgia defense. But when you see DeAndre Swift leaping over guys when Georgia has the ball, and that's not exactly a, a world-beating offense either, Georgia's, but they do have some really talented skill players, particularly in the backfield. Um, I, I just think they need another year together, uh, another year with some more pieces around them, and I think they will be better off on that side of the ball next year. And, frankly, the defense should be better too, at least in the front seven, uh, with all the young pieces they have coming back there. I don't know about you, but I am so ready for Thursday. Turkey, stuffing, gravy, pumpkin pie, making sure my bags are packed for the trip to Stanford for Notre Dame season finale. And my favorite, three huge helpings of football. That's my kind of feast. And to top it all off, all the action you can get betting on games thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook. You can take advantage of special Thanksgiving offers all day on Thursday. Take a listen to just some of the offers DraftKings has going on. Before kickoff, place a bet on the winner of any Thanksgiving football games, and DraftKings will give you a free $5 bet. Plus, during the game, place a $5 in-game flash bet, and DraftKings will give you another free $5 bet. Just check out the promos tab after sign-up to get all the details and see what else DraftKings has to offer. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use the promo code FAST when you sign up. For a limited time, all users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500. Don't forget, that's code FAST for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Indiana only. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Look, next year's schedule, Navy, Arkansas, Western Michigan, Wake Forest, Wisconsin without Jonathan Taylor, Stanford, which is a mess, Pittsburgh, and then Duke before Clemson. The way Notre Dame is built right now, they do not lose games they they shouldn't lose. I mean, that's I don't know. I'm just I'm not going to pencil them at seven and zero going into the Clemson game. But you can't do that with Wisconsin, at least. I, I, I don't know. But I mean, six and one at worst. No, I I would think so. Yes. I mean, assuming Ian so I mean that's yeah. that the Clemson game should be like the Georgia game this year in terms of stakes. Clemson in the top five, Notre Dame sort of maybe at the back of the top ten, maybe in, maybe at the back of the top five if they're undefeated but that's they at some point they have to win that game because they have not won that game in in quite a while since Oklahoma and that's I mean that's sort of what I wrote about off the Boston College game today is like Notre Dame is a program with a very high floor right now and that's that's good you know sustainability is success but they have to figure out a way to raise the ceiling. And, you know, we're not going to know if that's going to happen based on what happens against Stanford, nor are we going to know um, if that's going to happen, whether they play Iowa State in the Camping World Bowl or somehow they sneak into the Orange Bowl and get Virginia Tech again. Or, you know, heaven forbid they get into the Cotton Bowl and play Memphis or Cincinnati. Like, none of that is going to tell you whether Notre Dame is, is going to get any closer to Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State. Only playing Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State will tell you that. Um, but, I it, again, it sort of goes back to what I said at the top of the show. It's just they are in a very, very healthy spot to beat everybody else. Um, they just have a really good foundation, I think, as a program right now, and I, that's that's why they were able to run Boston College out of the stadium today 40-7. to Dabo Switty celebrated a 50th birthday on Thursday, and he celebrated because uh, Clemson had a bye week by going to a Brooklyn Nets game, which huh. um, 
I know because my brother works at Barclays Center, one, and I know two because I don't even know who the Nets were playing that weekend, that night, last night, Friday night. And Dabo thought it would be cool to celebrate his 50th birthday there. So random fun fact from the Fortuna family Mm. there. Another ACC fun fact that just came through on Twitter. Well, you had tweeted earlier about Notre Dame's record the last three years against ACC teams. with uh, In the regular season, In the the regular season. uh, With that one loss being a Miami team that uh, lost to Florida international yeah yeah so since that game notre dame is 23 and 4 and miami is 14 and 14 well manny navarro our miami beat writer had just tweeted tonight uh oh my god that quote about the world from uh from sage (laughs) lewis he said whoever that is it's a florida international linebacker the florida international university if if you say so and he says quote we were calling them the university of coral gables we're the real miami university end quote (laughs) mic drop with Butch Davis. Oh, no, wait. You, the, you missed the last time. <laughs> like, wait, was there another one? We're calling them the University of Cordoba Gables. We're the true Miami school. We have more students internationally. We did it for the <laughs> university and really for the world. Ooh, that's a good one. That'll be on their next like recruiting pamphlet, which that's saying a lot. I haven't been on Miami's campus. Um, beautiful. Nothing at all like what you – like. there's no greater like uh, divide between perception and reality than there is with the University of Miami. Like, it's, like, the most beautiful college campus in the world and the most diverse place I've ever been on the continental United States in my life. Like, it's just incredible. So, FIU rubbing that in their face as well is something else. I mean, life comes at you fast. Let me let me put it that way. If you're Miami, I mean, jeez. Where were they, 10, yeah. 9-0 after that Notre Dame game, I think? They, I believe, were 9-0, and then they beat Virginia the very next week and lost their last three. Hmm. And then Mark Rick retired last year. Amazing. Not great. No, not great, great, Bob. So, I I mean, overall with Notre Dame, we've been talking about this almost on every reaction podcast that college football is sort of, there's a top tier. Notre Dame's not in it, but they're in the tier below that top tier. Um, At this point, like that top tier is, I think earlier in the season, we looked at it as Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, Oklahoma. Yeah, I think Oklahoma clearly has dropped out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know uh, if we had LSU in there before this year, to be frank. Yeah, no. I think early in September, LSU is now the, rock solid. Oh, yeah, yeah, now they're Clemson and Clemson and um, Ohio State are in. The other three are out. How how close or far do you think Notre Dame is to you know? Because I, I think we've gone from a top tier and Notre Dame being below it to like a top, top tier and then a really, really good tier and then Notre Dame sort of in that group below it. It's that, do you, you see any signs of Notre Dame getting any closer to the, the tier below the top, top tier? Yeah, I think they're on the precipice of that. I mean, I, I'm not going to mistake them for being a better program than Clemson or Alabama year in and year out anytime soon. Not to say they couldn't beat Clemson if everything aligned right for them in a November home game next year, but I think... If the people come back who say they will come back or who we think will come back, if the staff stays mostly intact and doesn't have anything too drastic, which you never know between now and then, uh, I think three straight 10-win seasons, one playoff appearance, you'll have a three-year starter at quarterback. I think you put yourself in position to swing for the bottom of that top tier, which gets you, I'd say, a playoff spot or at least a top six ranking You know, if you go 11-1. and one. Uh, with that schedule next year. Uh, I feel comfortable saying that they can be that. But the margin for error is is smaller at Notre Dame. You're just never going to have the depth, I don't think, that 
uh, and LSU, Bama, and Georgia are going to have consistently in Clemson, uh, Ohio State too, for that matter. Um, I just think they're recruiting a different breed of athlete and doing it um, at every position deeper and deeper. I mean, I think last year, the Cotton Bowl, if Clemson lost their equivalent of Julian Love in the middle of the game, I don't think whoever they put in to replace him would, frankly, be responsible for giving up. Basically, not costing the game because they were probably going to win the game anyway, but letting that game get out of hand so quickly. I just, I mean, they were already playing without Dexter Lawrence and they ended up blowing out Notre Dame and Alabama without him, and the guy was a first round pick. Uh, I just think those programs are just operating in a different airspace right now, which I wanted to get to something on the last podcast that we didn't have time for, but it was on your in your mailbag last week, and you wrote about earlier when you wrote a story about Clemson and Notre Dame kind of sharing notes with each other this offseason. And that's assistant coach private travel. Uh, uh, frankly, it absolutely shocks me. That program that recruits nationally the way Notre Dame does will not fly its assistants private. Uh, from an efficiency standpoint, from a treating your employees well standpoint, from <clears throat> telling the recruits how serious you are about them standpoint, I mean, Tennessee has been doing this with their coordinators for like 15 years now, and Tennessee hasn't won a thing in the last 15 years. Now, I know they spend a lot on football, but I mean – I just think with all the money Notre Dame puts in this program, I know they, they kind of blush and are shy about it and try to hide it as best they can, but we see the tax returns with how much they paid Brian Van Gorder. Like, they're operating like a major college football team. Um, why is this an issue? I don't think it's going to be an issue for much longer if Good. Notre Dame can figure it out. Um, you know, I'm t- having a conversation with people tangentially around Notre Dame um, – They've had conversations with sort of a, a private uh, air travel company, and it's I I hesitate to use the term like "shame on you" because like that's such like over uh, over dramatic yeah. media speak. But still, I mean, come on, spend the money on it's it. It's 2019. Um, yeah, it's you paid Charlie Weiss you, eighteen. I know nothing. Not everything's equal, but you paid Charlie Weiss you eighteen and a half million dollars to. They're wrapping up a capital campaign that will clear five billion dollars. They had a billion four hundred million dollar stadium renovation. Yeah, so it it needs to happen. Uh, talking to Notre Dame's assistant coaches, you will hear. You know what? We never see Alabama or Georgia in the airport. Right. Um, I, there's a reason for that. I'm not sure you see They're, Wake Forest in the airport, Pete. Like I don't. Yeah. I mean, this They're is pretty standard practice. operating procedure. Yeah, it's uh, not not good. So, it doesn't have to be. I mean, Alabama. At years ago, and I assume they still had this. I mean, they had a plain donor program where, like, if an assistant wanted to get out of Tuscaloosa and go to LA, you know, in two hours, he had a guy on speed dial, like his own personal guy that he could just call yeah. that was arranged through the university that they could do this. And I know Alabama, you know, Alabama Clemson, I'd be, it'd be a cool project with an undefined answer to find out how many programs around the country college football programs get every single thing they ask for from their administration. I think that's something you obviously have to earn first and foremost, but like uh, the next time Greg Byrne or Dan Radakovich say no to Dabo Sweeney or, or Nick Saban will probably be the first. I mean, they know where their bread is buttered and they know how good they have it. Um, not every program is capable of operating that way and nor should Notre Dame be operating that way, uh, given the makeup of the place. But they can still be doing a lot more than they're doing right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I just sort of look at where Notre Dame is with the the private travel and the investment and on that front and think you can do all of those things and still sort of be Notre Dame. Right. Um, I mean, there's, there's, they're national. Nobody's like, saying, like, build an athletic dorm or come up with a, a bogus major like that. I'd be like, yeah, I don't I don't think they're going to go there. No. The private travel, is it should be a no-brainer. They're a national. Like, they don't have a, a regional recruiting base. Like, it's, it's they just yeah. don't. They are literally everywhere. I mean, they, they put out these schedules every year about we were in this – Big, the three biggest markets and this and that and we're the only team to play in Chicago, LA and New York in one year and you know that should be a philosophy that infiltrates every part of that program not just their Twitter account and should resonate with high school prospects when they're visiting them yeah there's I mean there's no question about it there's there's just a lot more they can pour into it and you know whether whether there's going to be a change offensively um, you know, on the staff next year I, I don't know but Chris Tyree, the five-star running back. Jordan Johnson, the five-star receiver. Michael Mayer, four-star tight end. Uh, Kevin Ballman's a sort of four-star tight end uh, from New Jersey as well. They have a couple of four-star offensive linemen coming in. Uh, Tyler Buckner is a year away, but just an incredibly talented quarterback in the 2021 class. They have material coming in at a level that they have not had since Brian Kelly's been here. And if if you're not going to have a head coach who just lives and dies recruiting, you better have coordinators who do. Um, and I would say right now Chip Long does. Clark Lee, I think, is very good. Um, but they – that to me, it's – what's separating Notre Dame from some of the teams that we talk about a lot, it's, it's less about – you know, the air travel would be big. I get it. Um, you know, but – it's just sort of the raw material that you have coming in. Uh, I, th- I believe when Notre Dame played Georgia, if you looked at the twenty four seven Sports Composite, it was eighteen to one in terms of five stars at Georgia <laughs> recruited over a four year span. Not all were there. One starting at Ohio State at quarterback, uh, to but one at Notre Dame. Like that's that's not a healthy ratio either. So it's I don't know. I, I just sort of look at Notre Dame right now. I think they're very very good. Um, I think they have a, a very very good head coach and an elite defensive coordinator, a good offensive coordinator. Uh, but what's going to get them over the top is, is probably going to be having a bunch of Chase Claypools instead of one, uh, and then having a bunch of Chris Tyrese instead of the current number of zero. So they have to get better offensively at those spots. Um, if they do, then you know maybe we're going to be talking about Notre Dame going to a place like Georgia and scoring 28 points. Or we're going to be talking about Notre Dame going to Michigan and scoring 21 points um, and winning those kinds of games. That, to me, is that's sort of the difference right now. You tweeted today that Jonathan Doerr might be the most improved player on the roster this season. Discuss. I, t- I don't even think about him making a, or missing a field goal anymore. Uh, fair enough. I, having watched like all the preseason practices and seeing some of the stuff that came off his leg, I, I am amazed... Uh, and I applaud him for the work that he's done because it is not something that I think anyone around Notre Dame saw coming. It was, it was a, I did a feature on Harrison Leonard, the preferred walk-on kicker from Connecticut. Um, I think he's from Connecticut uh, in in the summer because I was pretty sure he was going to win the job um, over Door, and it hasn't even been close. I mean, Door is Door has just been excellent. Brian Kelly was very effusive of his praise after the game today. 
And then um, I know talking to Brian Pullian about it way back in August, the last time we talked to assistant coaches, just said his body language is so much better. And they have they have put a lot of work into this kid, uh, I think, from the neck up to get him ready to do what he's doing. And you know, full credit to him for doing it. You know, as people pointed out, you could make a case for Asmar Bilal as well, and that's that's totally in bounds because I think what Clark Lee has done with that linebacker group has been incredible. But um, it's a good. Ultimately, I think every great Notre Dame season or every very good Notre Dame season has some surprise performances from guys who have been around a little bit. Uh, Asmar Balah has been one. Drew Wright's been one. Jonathan Doerr has been one. Um, I think the consistency of Chase Claypool's performances would count um, as sort of a side door uh, story of a, a guy who's really improved. So, I don't. I mean, I, I, I look at Notre Dame overall, it's – some good developmental stuff happening. Jameer Jones, I throw in that group too. Um, the fact that even though Dor, I think, is by far the most improved player on the team, the fact that you have five or six other candidates is that's a sign of a healthy program with a good coaching staff. I don't want to end talking about kickers and special teams with all due respect <laughs> to the legend that is Jonathan Dor. But I'll come back to another tweet you had today, which got me thinking – about what was the entirety of our last podcast, which was a made-up Orange Bowl against Alabama. Um, You tweeted that Irish, I think, to the Orange Bowl, if Ohio State wins out emphatically, playoff top four finishes as is, Minnesota beats Wisconsin, Florida loses to FSU or Vandy, Auburn loses to Alabama. Uh, Maybe it's the optimist in me, but I only see one one of those five scenarios there that truly is out there, and that's Florida losing – to Florida State or Vanderbilt. Um, yeah, so um, so a correction on that tweet. <laughs> uh, Florida actually beat Vanderbilt two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, I, um, I was just going to say, there's, they, I think they had a bye today, right? Or no, yeah, they I had, mean, if they lost to Vanderbilt now, that would be incredible. That would be, yeah, that would be something. That would be like, you know, South Carolina put out a statement about their coaching search, yeah. not search, on a weekend they don't play. Um, so, yeah, I think, does that, does that bubble have been burst? I think that it it has been burst. Um, the Ohio State winning emphatically is probably going to be what what kills it first um, because uh, Penn State probably did enough today to stay ahead of Notre Dame, um, and I I did not think that was going to be the case. Yeah, I it did, they were definitely get off the field. Definitely didn't look that way the first half, but you might. Yeah, you might so be it's right. like if, if Penn State is ahead of Notre Dame on t- on Tuesday night. Then they're going to stay there, yeah. and then Notre Dame's path to the Orange Bowl has been closed. Um, gotcha. Then that cannot happen. Um, Penn State would be ahead of them in the the Big Ten SEC pecking order, and that's they just have to roll with it. It's the camping world after today. The camping world bowl probably got more likely. Um, Oregon losing maybe get makes the Cotton Bowl a little bit more likely though. Um, if Oregon loses a second time to Utah. But then again, it's like if Penn State is ahead of Notre Dame and Florida is ahead of Notre Dame, um, I'm not. I think you're still sort of stuck going to Orlando um, to play a Big Twelve team on. I think it's December 28th. So, so it goes. My kids will go to Disney World and they'll love it. <laughs> well, be sure to tune in next Thursday, folks, as we make up a path to the playoff for Notre Dame if every single team playing next week <laughs> loses twice while they beat Stanford 59 to nothing. You never know. Chaos in conference championship game weekend. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, that's that's a good way to get out. The prospect of uh, Clemson losing to Virginia Tech seems unlikely, but hey, we could entertain that. Um, 
and we'll get into all that. I think we're we'll have our all decade podcast later this week um, to sort of get you into your holiday weekend, and then Matt and I will be back for our regular reaction podcast. Matt, are you? Because game day is going to Minnesota, I'm, I'm assuming you're staying at Flex House, or how is that going to work? <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's funny. The minute I got up from uh, them beating Penn State, I got to press box and call my editor, and he was like, you got to get back there for Wisconsin. Like, before I even told him when I was writing, I was like, okay, I'll be back here. So I'll be there. I don't know where. Well, I do have a hotel room, um, <laughs> if need be. <laughs> I love Maybe it. Maybe I can well, go I'm, to the lake house or sleep on a boat, depending on the weather in Minnesota on the last day of November. Um, but game day will game day definitely adds a adds a pretty cool wrinkle to, to what should be a pretty interesting day, where the axe and the division are on the line for the right to probably get destroyed by Ohio State. Well, I mean, what adds uh, a little bit of. Uh Enjoyment for me. I'll, I'll be on the Pacific Ocean when we do our next. Uh, is, is there reaction is there a time podcast. for that game yet? I believe I've everything that I've been told said it will be the eight p.m. Uh, ABC primetime game, so five p.m. Pacific. Um, When's the last so time we'll, Notre Dame played a day game at Stanford? I think it's also the last time they won at Stanford, uh, oh, two thousand seven, which is uh, Clawson's freshman year. Uh, and Har- I think it was was that Harbaugh's first year. I believe it was Harbaugh's first yeah. year as Stanford head coach. So it's been a minute. But- Stanford is slightly better than that team. Notre Dame is way better. So it's it, the dynamics of next week. I think are going to be fascinating to me because very rarely does Notre Dame get into a game where you can see like, yeah, I can see where Notre Dame and Brian Kelly really want to blow somebody out to make a point. This is one of those games, uh, and Stanford is ripe to be blown out. So it's. It's going to be a fascinating game, and uh, we will we'll have our all-decade podcast, like I said, during the week uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday, and then our reaction podcast for Notre Dame, Stanford, and Matt, and whatever he's doing with P.J. Fleck as well. well. I just um, assumed, since Joe Schmidt said he'd be out there, I was going to get replaced by Joe Schmidt for that post-game podcast, but... I, you know what? I'll, I'm going to take that under consideration. <laughs> I, I, I think it could be good, especially if he's tailgating before the game. You could get some really, that really lucid really commentary from our uh, our guy, Joe. Yeah, he, he doesn't do enough so. of that. So. <laughs> no, definitely not. So you've been listening to another episode of The Shamrock. Thanks for being with us.